Welcome to Eastern Europe's Minorities in a Century of Change, a podcast on the history of minority experiences in Central and Eastern Europe during the 20th century. I am Petru Negura, Humboldt Fellow at the Leibniz Institute for East and Southeast European Studies in Regensburg. This series is part of the Institute of Historical Research's Centennial Commemorations, Our Century, Looking Back, Thinking Forward and has been organized by the BASIS Study Group for Minority History. It was made possible through the help and support of the British Association of Slavonic and East European Studies and the Stanley Burton Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at the University of Leicester. The study group is a forum devoted to uh, researching minorities in the national and regional histories of Central, Eastern and Southeast Europe and promoting closer scholarly collaborations. For more information, please visit our website at study group for minority group for minorityhistory.com. On this episode, Professor Ulf Brumbauer, academic director of the Leibniz Institute for East and Southeast European Studies and chair of the History of Southeast and Eastern Europe at the University of Regensburg, talk, talks to us about ethnonational minorities, notably Muslim communities and how their contested status has frequently led to persecution or marginalization. Professor Brumbauer, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you became interested in this area of history? Also, what do you mean by an ethnonational minority? Just to keep in mind the same definition. Um, yeah, first of all, uh, hello Petro, hello uh, all the listeners who might uh, uh, listen to the, to the podcast. I'm really very grateful for the invitation to, to join this, uh, what is already a very, very illustrous uh, list of, uh, of guests on your uh, podcast, uh, to talk with you about uh, a theme which um, I continue to find very interesting, but also challenging, which is minorities and specifically Muslim minorities in Southeastern Europe. Uh, why, why, why did I become interested in the Balkans or Southeastern Europe? I, I use it synonymously for, for, this, uh, for this purpose. You can uh, talk hours about the different definitions in the first uh, place. Well, uh, I started to study history in 1989 at the University of Graz, uh, which is located uh, kind of 50 kilometers away from what then was still the border between Austria and Yugoslavia. And uh, so I, I studied in, in a place which was also traditionally obviously very well connected with, uh, with uh, Yugoslavia at a chair mainly, which I took with my MA and also my, my, my dissertation. Uh, at a chair at the Department for Southeast European History during a time when Yugoslavia broke broke uh, apart in a very violent uh, way. And the obvious reason for for the war and for Yugoslavia's dissolution was nationalism. So it was in a way an obvious, uh, obvious area to get interested uh, in. We had some excellent uh, scholars in Graz uh, studying Southeastern Europe, its history, but also its, uh, its cultures, its present. There are a lot of people from the region present, uh, refugees coming to, to Austria, to Graz in the 1990s, before that uh, uh, so-called Gastarbeiters and, uh, and the offspring. Um, and, um, and for me personally, it was certainly also a way to, 
to explore, to get to know a Europe, which at least at that time I felt to be very different from uh, the places where I grew up, which was in, in Austria, so a very, in a way, um, unspectacular. And uh, at least in my memories as a youth, youth uh, also pretty boring, boring place. Uh, I did not uh, begin with uh, research on the former Yugoslavia, but actually the, the first, first real research project that I ever uh, conducted was on the Soviet Union, another, uh, another place uh, which is uh, obviously interesting from the point of view of ethnic and national relations. And uh, then I decided to do a PhD on a theme from Bulgarian or late Ottoman history. Uh, we are very organically. It was not the main question of my, my PhD, but the relations between uh, uh, different religious communities was uh, or, or turned out to be crucial for for the themes that I was interested in my PhD. With, uh, which leads me to your second question: what I what I mean with ethno-national minority? I probably would not necessarily use it today. This the, uh, the, this uh, this concept when the the, the ways how we how we conceptualize minorities uh, really changed a lot over the last 30, 30 years from uh, a time in the 1990s when uh, ethnic minorities were in, in a way rediscovered after 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 communism in uh, a, what today we would judge a probably theoretically conceptually little bit naive way taking ethnic communities in Eastern and Southeastern Europe really for granted before starting to, to, or to deconstruct the processes that uh, lead to groups to define themselves as an ethnic, as an ethnic group. So uh, I think if we, if we use ethnic or ethno-national community today, we would use it, at, at least that's the way uh, I, I would use it, uh, as a concept for a group which uh, where the members of the group believe to form such a group. So a group that defines itself uh, through the idea of sharing a common descent, uh, that uh, defines its collective identity very much through the assumption of shared cultural traits. We all know that uh, these are imaginations, these, these are constructions, which at the same time are also rooted in social in social uh, practice. But we do need some kind of language to differentiate this kind of minority from other types of minorities, like sexual uh, minorities, without wanting to say that uh, the one is like a more stable identity than the other. Right. And my, my, my second question is like um, uh, very much related to the, to the first, uh, I mean, in terms of the definition of ethno-national minority, much of your work uh, focuses on perceptions of Muslim minorities, like the Bulgarian-speaking Pomaks or mm. Turks and Albanians in interwar Bulgaria, Greece and southern Yugoslavia, that often translated into state policy. Historically, how did these perceptions and policies differ to those in other areas of Eastern Europe, such as, say, Ukrainians in Romania or Germans in Poland before the Second World War? Mm. I think we could pinpoint to both similarities and uh, and uh, differences. Uh, similarities in in terms of uh, uh, majority minority relations or the relations of national and nationalizing states towards uh, ethnic 
uh, in inverted commas and, and minorities in, uh, in the interwar period, that is, in the period after the dissolution of empires, where I think the larger general picture to some degree is similar, mean, uh, meaning that uh, after, after World War I, after the dissolution of first the Ottoman, then the Habsburg and Russian empires, and in a way also the German Empire, um, we do have a situation when, uh, when uh, new states or national states emerge or uh, acquire new, 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 new territory states that are based on the idea of a dominant nation or where the political elites see their state as the expression of the desire of their ethnically defined uh, nation when naturally ethnic minorities uh, uh, come to be seen as a problem. How these minorities are treated does differ, but the very fact that, uh, that uh, new national states and their elites perceive minorities as a problem, uh, I think, uh, has common roots in the problems of post-imperial state building. And the, and the very fact that those states that appear as new or, uh, or, or, or enlarged states like, like Romania, uh, being based on the idea of being a national state, but uh, encountering a very different demographic reality, because to 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 a degree, these uh, new national states that followed the empires were mini empires in themselves, facing very similar challenges in terms of uh, the integration of a very diverse population, diverse not only in terms of of language, religion, but also in terms of historical traditions, even in there where the same language was. Uh, spoken like in Romania or, or, or Yugoslavia, and uh, so I think this is similar. But there are some there are some differences uh, in when it comes to Southeastern Europe and in particular Muslim minorities. I mean, one other similarity is why Muslim minorities tended to be treated in a not very good way, although there's really different scales of treating treating them badly from like just ignoring, neglecting them to. Uh, forcibly removing or killing them during during war. Uh, there's another similarity, I think, to, to, to Central Europe, that uh, uh, Muslims who spoke different languages, and at that time probably most of the Muslim population or in the Balkans, for them religion, faith was more important than uh, ethnicity or nationality as a marker of collective uh, identity. Uh, they were perceived by the majority populations or by the political elites of, of the new states as uh, an unwanted legacy of empire, as the formerly dominant or uh, sort of uh, oppressive uh, rulers of these, of these regions uh, linked to narrative of imperial oppression from which the national movements sort of uh, sought liberation. And this, I think, is very similar to the perception of Germans for example, in, 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 in Poland, Czechoslovakia, or, or also Hungarians in, in Yugoslavia. But uh, a major difference is where uh, Muslims were put on, on a temporal scale, if, if you want. So, whereas, uh, uh, whereas the Germans, uh, German minority in Czechoslovakia or Poland was never considered to be a backward uh, uh, population which also stood in the way of modernization, which was very much the raison d'etre of these national and nationalizing states. Muslims were not only considered the significant ethnic other, 
but in a way also the significant temporal other because they represented the kind of backwardness from which the new political elites promised uh, to liberate their their societies pursuing a modernizing a modernizing agenda i think this is this is a major a major uh, difference and another difference pertains to the ways I already alluded to that of identification of the minority itself whereas germans and interwar czechoslovakia interwar poland they had a very well developed sense of of national identity and then also sort of uh, experienced nationalist mobilization against the new the, the new political uh, or the Muslims in the Balkans very much were still a non-national minority in the interwar period, which, with a small elite that in a way also probably followed developments in the Republic of, of Turkey and, and, um, and accepted or, or also, also kind of imported ideas of, of Kemalism, but the vast majority defined either in religious terms or through other categories like family, clan, kinship, or through, through uh, profession. So, uh, so in a way there was a misperception of this group uh, from by the majority or by the political elite as a national minority, uh, which might also serve as a fifth column of Turkey or of the former empire, and a self-perception not yet really uh, uh, being nationalized. Um, so I think this, the, the, these are some important, uh, important uh, uh, differences, and this then also relates to the question to, to what extent this minority is assimilable, and uh, then especially with respect to those Muslims who spoke a Slavic tongue in Yugoslavia or Bulgaria, at least there were recurrent uh, efforts to turn them into whatever, into national Bulgarians or national Croats, Serbs, Yugoslavs, and uh, and so on. So there's also a, a difference, uh, well, a difference was made in the treatment of Muslim minorities um, uh, according to the language they, uh, they spoke, and uh, whether they were considered a significant other or a potential part of the self. Well, well, this divide between um, assimilable and non-assimilable mm. minorities, I, I would say this is a central, uh, I mean, um, uh, so di dichotomy and in, in the nationalist and nationalized mm. discourse. But, um, in, by the way, in an earlier uh, article published in 2010, you established three approaches for perceiving the ethnic identity of Muslims, non-tolerance, acceptance of the other, or viewing Muslims as a historical aspect of the national self, while denying their otherness. Mm -hmm. In the cases of Bulgaria, Greece, Greece and Yugoslavia, what factors determined which of these approaches they choose? How were they implemented and what might have convinced national governments to shift from one approach to another? Mm -hmm. That's very good, but also complex. A uh, question which uh, pertains to three, three uh, countries that, in in many ways, were very different and uh, that encountered also very different uh, Muslim minorities. Um, also, in terms of whether whether Muslim minorities or Muslim uh, groups were considered the most problematic minority or not. I think that's also very important uh, when we want to understand the treatment of a minority in a national. 
state to to also investigate what the at least perceived relationship between this minority vis-a-vis -vis other minorities that might exist. Is Yugoslavia is a really good uh, case in point where to some de to some degree and also depending of course really on, on location, uh, but to some degree the Hungarians were perceived as the much bigger problem than uh, than than the Muslims because of the fear that they might be uh, exploited by by a revisionist Hungary whereas uh, uh, Yugoslavia did not have obviously a border with, uh, with Turkey, so there was no evident fear that Turkey might in a way exploit the presence of a Turkish minority, which was also not so large in, in Yugoslavia for its own, its own goals. So that's also an important, I think, an important differentiating factors. And then we also always need to stress uh, the, the fact that uh, the treatment of Muslims or of specific subgroups really oscillated over time. So there's no clear trajectory and for each uh, for each pattern we need to, um, to, 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 to pinpoint the factors that uh, lead to a change in a transformation in the pattern. One of the factors for example is uh, foreign policy uh, considerations. In the 1930s, when, uh, when uh, uh, Greece and Turkey sought an rapprochement, for example, the treatment of the Muslim minority in, in, increased um, uh, noticeably, Im improved something that we can observe in, in post-45 period, period uh, as well. So foreign policy, I think, is an important factor. Uh, but probably the most important one uh, with regard to Muslims in these three countries, the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, Bulgaria and Greece is uh, uh, the language they spoke. So that's really an important, an important uh, uh, difference. And then also the international, the international uh, treaties that pertain to the treatment of uh, of uh, minorities. Uh, uh, Bulgaria uh, and Yugoslavia uh, obviously had to adhere to certain minority protection clauses, some of them stemming even from the Berlin Treaty of uh, 1878, when uh, Serbia became independent and Bulgaria autonomous, others from the League of Nations uh, ruled, in case of Bulgaria, also from the Peace Treaty after World War I, as a, um, as a uh, loser of, of, of the war. In the case of uh, Greece, it was the the, the, the treaty between uh, Greece and, and Turkey in Lausanne in 1923, which uh, uh, first of all said that uh, all, with, with some exceptions, all Muslims had to leave Greece mm -hmm. and all Orthodox people had to leave Turkey. Uh, so they were, the language that was used was or the category that was used to define who had to relocate was religion, was not ethnicity. Uh, with the exception of uh, a relatively small uh, Muslim population in uh, Western Thracia in Greece. So that was the population that was to become a Muslim minority in Greece, mainly Turkish speaking, but not exclusively Turkish, uh, also some Slavic speakers and Muslim and Muslim uh, Roma and and and. and also, uh, out of these international obligations, Greece was was also forced uh, to to uh, provide 
some sort of minority protection in this very limited small area adjacent to to Turkey. In Yugoslavia, there was a major difference between a Slavic-speaking Muslim, which is what we nowadays would call Bosniaks, Bosnian Muslims, but also some other groups, smaller groups in Macedonia. They come under different names. Torbeshi is one of the names you you often find, or Guarani in in Kosovo, uh, which are groups that basically share the same uh, the same historical background. So Christian Orthodox usually Slavic populations that for different reasons, mainly social economic uh, reasons, converted to Islam during the long centuries uh, of, uh, of Ottoman, of Ottoman uh, rule and so spoke Slavic, so Tongue, Serbo, Croatian or Macedonian, how we would call it today. And they were considered assimilable. Uh, in Yugoslavia the question was into what? because they were claimed both by Croats, by Croatian nationalism and by Serb nationalism. But basically Bosnian, Bosnian Muslims uh, enjoyed recognition, I mean they enjoyed freedom of, uh, freedom of, uh, of, 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 of belief, they could uh, practice uh, uh, their religion without any without any, uh, any, any problem, uh, but they didn't, they didn't have any sort of collective minority rights because they were not perceived as a minority, but they were part of the Yugoslav nation in its three sort of tribes, Slovenians, Croats and, and uh, Serbs. Uh, when it comes to, to, to the Turkish and Albanian minorities in, in uh, Yugoslavia, they were perceived as a problem by the Serb elite. Uh, so they lived uh, mainly in what was called southern Serbia, which is today's Kosovo and 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 uh, Macedonia. And there was a quite consistent effort to marginalize them to such a degree that many of them would choose to voluntarily leave Yugoslavia. There were even ideas of forced expulsion, which were never realized. There were also agreements between Yugoslavia and Turkey for the voluntary resettlement of Turks. Uh, from uh, Yugoslavia and implicitly at least the Yugoslav side, which was dominated by, uh, by by Serbs, the government also thought that Albanians would also would also leave because most of them are, uh, are Muslims, and the the Yugoslav government also resettled uh, Slavic speakers in Kosovo and Macedonia in order uh, also to. Uh, put pressure on the local Muslim population to, uh, to leave because they lost land, for example, and they were really discriminated by the local administration, but also to dilute their demographic influence because this was considered a strategically sensitive region bordering to Albania, then in the south with, with a large presence, probably minor majority, local majority of of, uh, of Muslims. In, in, in Bulgaria, again, a very different pattern. In the interwar period, um, the Turkish minority, which was considered mainly through the prism of religion, not so much as a national minority, but rather as a religious one. So also, even, even when authors in the 1920s in Bulgaria or 30s used the word Turk, they probably rather would speak of Muslims than of Turks in the national uh, sense, and there was only, as already said, only tiny elite of educated, of educated uh, 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 Turks who followed Kemalist or who introduced Kemalist elites, which the Bulgarian government wanted also to prevent, which was also one 
one reason why the, the, the government was rather tolerant or even supportive of the local Muslim clergy because they rather would keep, to put it uh, in, a, in, in very stark terms, they would keep uh, the Turkish minority in an in inverted comma ignorant uh, state of uh, being very re religious rather than uh, experiencing their own sort of nationalizing process uh, to transform them into a national minority which would make ethnic and national uh, claims. Bulgaria was obliged to, uh, to uh, guarantee the, the freedom of, uh, of, of faith and also did it. There are Turkish members in the Bulgarian uh, parliament, there's a Turkish press, not in the sense of modern collective minority, minority rights, but uh, there was no, no pressure to assimilate and um, discrimination in the way that the Turkish population through uh, their being much more rural, also less educated, uh, was marginalized. But to a certain degree this was also a process of self-marginalization, uh, preferring to stick to a local, traditional, religiously defined community in a national state that was perceived as rather hostile, or at least as alien, maybe more alien than mm. And then we have the small Slavic-speaking, not, not so small, it's a quarter million of people, uh, probably, we don't know exactly, Slavic-speaking or Bulgarian-speaking uh, Muslim population in, in, in Bulgaria, the Pomaks, which, as you know, was one of my favorite minorities in the 1990s, also because it's such an interesting and curious uh, uh, case. And they were considered to be Bulgarians, who had been forced uh, forcefully converted to Islam, uh, but who could be rescued for the Bulgarian ethnos or, 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 or nation. So they uh, they were considered Bulgarians, but uh, with the exception of the Balkan Wars, when there was a, a campaign of forceful conversion of Pomaks to Christianity, they were left alone as lo uh, when their uh, their religion is is con concerned. So. Uh, there was a rhetoric of assimilation, but uh, well until the late 1930s, no real, uh, real effort. It was a pretty marginalized uh, population in a marginalized region bordering to, to Greece, very poor, with very little, little development, and basically left alone by the by the state. Only in the late 1930s, when Bulgarian nationalism became more extreme and the, the state more authoritarian. There were more consistent efforts to to return them to their Bulgarian consciousness, which was the official rhetoric. It was always this rhetoric of revival or rebirth, uh, so that people who had forgotten their Bulgarian, original Bulgarian national consciousness would uh, be helped to reclaim it through efforts by the state. And during socialism, this became much more forceful and much more consistent, obviously. Yeah, thank you. And so I move to the next question. Um, much of your work explores how nation builders typically labeled minority groups, especially Muslims, as backward. This idea of backwardness often permeates nationalist discourses as a way of presenting the nation state as a civilizing and modernizing force. In the cases of the Pomaks, Turks and Albanian minorities of the South Balkans, such backwardness was largely attributed to their adherence to the Islam, to Islamic faith. 
What in your view may have been the hidden agenda, if one may call it that way, for applying this label of backwardness to ethnic and religious minorities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this, this is probably really the, 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 the basic problem. Um, explaining the, the peculiar relations between the national state in, in the Balkans, and most of, most of them at least were founded as explicitly and consciously uh, Christian or Orthodox uh, states, so uh, uh, Christianity and national identity being linked to each other very closely, at least in the 19th cen uh, uh, century national movement in the, in, in, in the Balkans and the Muslim populations. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a really a vexed, a vexed uh, problem um, because it appears to me that uh, it is driven also by some, you, you might call it hidden fears uh, of the majority. Uh, of the majority, or at least the political elites that uh, pretend to speak for the for the for uh, for, for the majority, because uh, everyday relations between Christians and Muslims, most of the time, with the exception of really of, of war and violence, and very often the violence was brought also to local communities from outside, were I would say relatively good or. Uh, unproblematic. So there was a historical pattern of a modus vivendi. Actually, in, in some places like Bosnia and Kosovo, uh, which we now associate with uh, long-standing religious or ethnic conflicts, there are so many examples from Ottoman times, but also from still in the interwar period of syncretism, for example, of uh, also what I encountered in in Bulgaria in the Rodope Mountains, where the Pomak minority. Uh, live so uh, Muslims celebrating Christian holidays uh, or uh, going also using also churches for uh, uh, for their religious needs and vice and and vice versa Muslim practices that uh, uh, are very clearly shaped by 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 the uh, by coexistence with uh, with Christians or maybe also by the sort of Christian uh, uh, background of many of the Slavic-speaking Muslims who converted to Islam in during the Ottoman during the Ottoman period, uh, for example, the adoration of saints is something that is actually prohibited in Islam, but which is really prevalent in the in the in in the Balkans um, uh, and now being very often criticized by this new more conservative clergy that emerged in in southeastern Europe, very often also trained in Saudi Arabia or in these centers of uh, of non-European Islam. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I think uh, uh, Muslims in a way um, are over-determined, uh, so the problems that are projected onto this minority very often um, have more to do with uh, the problems of the political elite than uh, with uh, real problems that the state might have with this. Uh, people who most of the time uh, did not cause a lot of political, <coughs> sort of political, political uh, problems or or struggles. So they 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 represent uh, 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 backwardness, which they represent the Orient within. I think that's a very important, uh, very important um, aspect of this uh, of uh, of this. Uh, 
uh, problems. So they, in many ways, are used as uh, an object into which everything is projected from which the new national state wants to separate and disassociate itself. But where people know that this is also part of the history, this is also part of their self, and they, they really cannot cut themselves from this off, uh, which um, can, as we, I think we know from psychology, can translate into even more radical efforts to cut that off which cannot be cut off. Um, which ultimately led to instances of, uh, of uh, forced removal or mass murder of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Muslims. And, and I think this, 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 source, this shows that there's really an important psychological component to it. Muslims being the living memory or the living test legacy, the living testament of a memory which the new political elites want to forget, which is a long Ottoman presence, which was much more than just an imperial time of imperial suppression, but also a time of coexistence, problematic as it was, and also a time of development in the 19th uh, century. So a much more ambiguous uh, uh, legacy, and the thing political elites in a way at least felt that, but they didn't want to articulate. Uh, it, and so the, also the deliberate destruction of the, of the Ottoman architectural legacy, so this really conscious de-Ottomanization of cities, for example, uh, I think also uh, is rooted in this uh, uh, effort to make a past which cannot be abolished, you cannot abolish the past, you cannot disband on the past, but to make it invisible. Although people still, even you, if you make it invisible, people still come, uh, remember what was there, even if it is not anymore. So, so in a way, it was a very futile exercise, but I think it explains the particular prominence of uh, Muslims in the thinking of new nationalist uh, elites, very often in total disconnect to real-life real life uh, problems. So a lot of the own fears, the own anxieties, anxieties were projected into this into this minority, regardless of what minority activists did or did not. You know, for most of the time, at least in the interval period, but also after 45, there was not much in terms of Muslim minority activism anyway. Uh, uh, because they still were in the process of actually constituting themselves as a national as a national minority. So I think this notion, and there's some excellent literature about that, of course, of uh, the Orient within, which uh, helps to explain why uh, Muslims became so overdetermined by meaning. Uh, and in any process uh, where we can uh, see these processes of symbolic overdetermination, it becomes then really very difficult to find pragmatic Pragmatic, uh, pragmatic solutions because uh, the, 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 the problem becomes so large, uh, the size so, so large that it, it is impossible to digest um, uh, and impossible to split it up in things that can be solved. Yeah, thank you. And now let's move quick, um, quickly to another topic which is central in your work. Uh, that of e-migration. So, 
Emigration has been a prominent theme in your research insofar as it often represented part of a wider nationalization agenda deemed crucial for creating national diasporas who would remain politically loyal to their respective homelands. This was especially relevant in the case of independent Serbia and, and uh, subsequently Yugoslavia after 1918. At the same time, emigration policies were also viewed as a means of forcibly removing groups perceived as a-national or of non-Slavic origin, such as the Kosovo Albanians. To what extent did the Serbian and Yugoslavian state seek to build, through emigration policy, an imagined community beyond and within its borders? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but what I I would not claim that I I found it out, but probably one of the first studies with respect to interwar Yugoslavia, uh, discussing these uh, these issues. But I, I build on 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 excellent. Uh, templates like uh, Mark Kroatian uh, on 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 on, uh, on Italy, for example, this wonderful book, The Immigrant Nation. What 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 I wanted to understand is the connection between nation building and emigration. Obviously, we all know that during times of violence, especially during war, um, nationalizing uh, states or regimes use uh, force to remove people in order to make their visions of a homogeneous nation through and exploit the conditions of war which make it possible to use large-scale violence also for that uh, for that uh, purpose so ethnic cleansing in inverted commerce a concept that was coined uh, with respect to events in 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 southeastern europe that is in the 1990s in bosnia Herzegovina, ethnic cleansing was a constant feature of nation building in 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 the region but with in times of war so not in times of peacetime, uh, but also in times of peacetime. So this is what 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 I, I discussed with uh, regards to Yugoslavia, and it's not the only case, but the particularly interesting one. Also in times of peacetime, governments try to use migration policy, emigration policy, that is, and also repatriation policy for nation building projects or purposes. And then, of course, depending on what their idea, their concept of nation was. These policies differ. In the case of Yugoslavia, to put it uh, simply, it was, I think, a policy with uh, two vectors. So, interwar Yugoslavia rested on the idea that it was the national state of the Yugoslavs, uh, which is the Slovenians, the Croats, and the Serbs. And so, the first official name was also the Kingdom of of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenians. And this was, but this was thought as being like three names or three tribes of the same nation. Uh, of the Yugoslavs, and uh, and the the Yugoslav government also tried to use or to facilitate its nation-building project through migration policy, which uh, meant on the one hand that uh, the government tried these were unwritten policies. So, I mean, you find it in the internal communication, but it is not put into law. Uh, tried to find ways to prevent the emigration of uh, members of the so-called national community, that is of Slavs, of South Slavs, of, of, of Serbs, Croats and Slovenians. And this was important because uh, parts of what became Yugoslavia in 1918 were shaped by massive emigration uh, before World War I. Uh, so large parts of Croatia, Slovenia, Macedonia, Montenegro, so huge emigration to 
the United, uh, United States and the government feared that this would continue after 1918 and they wanted to prevent this. They wanted to prevent members of their nation to leave, which was semi-successful. On the other hand, they wanted to facilitate the emigration of so-called non-national elements or a-national elements, uh, which uh, were Hungarians, also Germans, although the position of Germans was a bit more, more in a way, nuanced or, or contradictory because they were not perceived as such a problematic minority, um, at least not uh, when compared to Hungarians and also Albanians and Turks. For the emigration of, of Turks, they concluded agreements with, uh, with uh, Turkey and a significant number of uh, members of the Turkish, probably also Albanian communities from Yugoslavia left during the interwar period, also as a result of marginalization. Uh, but uh, overall, this was not, it had no really demographically significant impact. But there was another dimension. Uh, Yugoslavia also, in a way, projected its nation-building effort abroad uh, towards uh, those people of Yugoslav extraction that uh, had emigrated and now lived, most of them in North America, but all around the, all around the world. So there was this idea of Yugoslavs abroad, and the uh, experts spoke of like one million of our people, in inverted commas, living abroad, um, which was you know, like 15% of the total uh, population, and they also should be turned into Yugoslavs, because these people had left when there was no Yugoslavia. Uh, many of them had left from Austrian-Hungarian provinces as Croats, Slovenes, or Dalmatians, or Istrians, or whatever, most of them with rather regional um, identification than a national one or a religious one. And so Yugoslavia tried, especially in Northern America, through emigration, emissionaries, through a relatively dense network of consular offices to turn these people into, into Yugoslavs that would be a loyal diaspora of the new kingdom of Yugoslavia and also, in a way, mobilize or influence public opinion in America uh, and turn it friendly, accommodating towards, towards Yugoslavia. As you can imagine, Yugoslavia did not really have the means to, 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 to create out of this mass of people who all had left long before the Kingdom of Yugoslavia was established into, into loyal diaspora and then there were also political disagreements. Most of them were manual workers, worked in industry. Uh, most of them were not Serbs, so were even not very sympathetic to a country that was so clearly dominated by, by, by Belgrade and by the Serb political uh, elite and this was a monarchy and many of them actually had, had uh, socialist leanings. So there are also all kinds of contradictions. Uh, and you find this also in the repatriation policies, for example. Yugoslavia tried to prevent people with Yugoslav citizenship of Hungarian or German or Albanian uh, ethnicity to come back, but they invited Slavs, uh, uh, Croats, Serbs, to come back, but when it turned out that these people were socialists, the Yugoslav government was unhappy again and then persecuted them, persecuted them through the police. So all kinds of catch-22 uh, situations, but it shows that uh, states use also emigration as a tool of nation building, and not only immigration, but also emigration. Yeah, so now my, my, my 
almost last question to conclude. Paradoxically, uh, this pursuit of ethically and culturally homogenized population has more often proved detrimental, alienating minority communities and inhibiting state integration efforts. Given the obvious social and economic disadvantages, why do you think Bulgaria, the Yugoslav successor states, and most other countries in Eastern Europe never attempted to, to build more pluralistic societies? Why have, why have they so often pursued the destructive, homogenizing logic of the nation-state and been willing to risk domestic unrest or even a resort to persecution and genocide? Well, I mean, this is what they've uh, learned from their European peers, uh, where it seemed to work. So on, on, on the large um, uh, European scales, I think uh, Southeastern European countries don't stand out. On the contrary, I mean, they probably not, uh, not by their own choice, but uh, more ethnic heterogeneity was in a way pre preserved, at least until mass non-European immigration to to, to some West European countries than in Western, in Western uh, Europe. So I think the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the initial problem or the origin of the problem was a very unhappy combination of uh, the German, German or Germanic concept of the nation, defining it in, in ethnic terms, in, in terms of uh, common uh, descent, in terms of culture, in terms of language, combined with uh, the French state idea. So having a very centralizing, a central, strong central state in countries that were very diverse, not only ethnically, but also socially and, and, uh, and historically very diverse. So the, uh, the, 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 the combination of the uh, different combination would have worked better taking the, the civic, I mean, we know it's a myth, but still at least it's a, it's a, it's a useful myth. This. Uh, uh, civic notion of nationhood which we tend to ascribe to France and the more federal uh, way to organize the polity uh, from, from Germany. That would have been the better, better match, but uh, they took the other one, which was the dominant European, the European idea and, and uh, many of the European peers that were so crucial for the establishment of Balkan states uh, were actually also quite uh, were subscribing to this kind of policies, especially when it came when it came uh, when it came to uh, Muslims, and I do think that uh, especially in the interwar period, the degree of uh, coexistence, some of it as an obligation from from the peace treaties or other international treaties, but the, the degree of coexistence, also of minority degree uh, rights, really stands out. I mean, the, uh, the, the number of uh, minority language uh, schools in, in these countries com compared to uh, France or Spain, for example, is really quite, uh, quite, uh, quite uh, amazing. And even, even today, uh, countries like Serbia or Croatia have much more extensive collective minority rights than most other places in, in, uh, in uh, Europe. So, um, I've, so I've, I think compared to other places in Europe, uh, probably the the narrative is not so not so bleak, and the the, the most egregious uh, cases of especially genocide, uh, if you think of uh, of uh, World War Two, were certainly not not primarily the responsibility of Southeast European um, societies. 
Um, I think it's a European, it's a European story of failure to accept, uh, to accept uh, uh, multiculturality, multi-ethnicity, and of a, or of a European story of uh, learning through very, very bad lessons to finally uh, accept uh, the fact that European societies are ethnically, culturally, religiously, sexually, and whatever. Uh, diverse and that uh, that uh, the way how we organize our politics should uh, should also reflect that. But if you if you are situated on the poorer end of Europe, if you are also situated in a in a strategically really very sensitive uh, uh, region where where great powers continue or used and still continue to 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 inter in, intervene, I think then you are positioned in a not very good place to experiment with uh, different and maybe more enlightened forms of state of state uh, organizations so to some to some degree i think we, we we can understand where political elites in the region were particularly fearful of minorities being exploited for uh, nefarious Purposes, although we know we know that these these fears were, were were unfounded, but I think the thinking is really that's a very volatile region, weak states, weak integration capacity, not only with regards to minorities, but with regard to society as uh, uh, as a whole. Borders constantly changing, and uh, most of the nations in the region have a relatively credible story of their own suffering. Uh, which I think also tends to make people not so forthcoming to 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 others, at least not immediately. So I think we can learn a lot. I also think that we should not denigrate the record of Southeast European societies also finding ways to to coexist. Um, to some degree, we actually can even learn something, and it's the only place in Europe where for centuries Christians and Muslims have found. Pretty okay ways to co to, to to coexist, and where, as I said today, uh, some countries have minority protection systems that uh, that uh, are pretty unique in in uh, in uh, in uh, Europe, and where other European countries like France, for example, could actually learn something. Yeah, uh, thank you. And by the way, like uh, irony of history is that the must inter-ethnic, so to say, clashes uh, appeared in the in two states that were self-proclaimed federal and internationalist like Soviet Union and Yugoslavia. Yeah, but, but well, it's, it's, it shows that the, 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 the things were not so clear and peaceful in the Soviet and Yugoslav uh, socialist time either. So, well... Ex exactly. Although we would probably not frame it in terms of minority, majority um, uh, relations because the nationalities were not, were not uh, constituted as minorities in, in socialist Yugoslavia and, and socialist, at least not the titular nationalities of the republics and the Soviet at the Soviet But I think I mean, the, 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 the long story is one of uh, a still not digested dissolution of empire. Uh, and uh, uh, of uh, recurrently unsuccessful experiments to organize the political space in a way 
that you don't have to push out a lot of people because they don't fit into your notion of what the state or the nation should uh, should uh, look look like. So I think I mean, when we, we look at, at Ukraine, but also in, in those places in the former Yugoslavia, where uh, some of the most basic questions of sovereignty are still are still disputed, like Bosnia and Kosovo. I mean, these are the places that already more than 100 years ago were the sort of the stones of rupture uh, of, uh, of uh, imperial reorganization um, efforts. So I think that's probably also tells us that uh, we should not expect solutions to these questions anytime soon because they seem to be rooted in really very long, long histories and people take them very seriously. Yeah. And my very last question is um, where can people go to learn more about ethno-national minorities in southern, uh, southeastern Europe? Uh, there are a lot of places, but I mean, generally one would have to say that uh, the minority research experienced a boom in the 1990s and uh, became much less fashionable after, uh, afterwards. But there are places, uh, uh, I mean, outside and inside the region where you Cluj is a very good place to uh, to go because there's some excellent researchers in the institute devoted to to to, to minority research. Sofia is a very good uh, place for yeah, if you want to learn something about Muslim minorities in the in the in the in the Balkans. Uh, uh, Flensburg, uh, un, uh, probably un, uh, surprisingly for many, a small town in northern Germany is a very good place to go because that's the location of the European Center of Minority Issues, which also did a lot of research, very useful research on minority issues in Southeastern Europe. So, I mean, the research became normalized, uh, but uh, I think it is also today less dynamic than it used, than it used uh, uh, to be. Also because to some degree, I think the more interesting conceptual questions there may be solved. And uh, and uh, also minority issues per se, I think today in the Balkans are relatively unproblematic. Uh, so uh, there are no not really substantial tensions between Turkish minority and the Bulgarian state, for example, or or, or you know, similar example, examples. When those national conflicts, which are really ongoing, are not minority majority relations, but really conflicts between fully developed nations over certain territories, like in Bosnia or in, 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 in Kosovo. Yeah, thank you very much. And I would add my, my, my last five kopecks by adding that please come to Moldova also. There is a, a very interesting field of research in terms of minority and majority minority. Definitely, yeah. Quite reversed uh, relation and relation of power that uh, than, than in other places, perhaps, but still. So, uh, thank you uh, again, and uh, yeah, uh, let's um, uh, let's study all these uh, works, uh, very interesting works uh, about minorities in South Eastern uh, Europe. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your interest and your excellent questions. <laughs>